May I request us to stand now as we read the word of God together? Let's turn together to Psalm 127. And we will be um, reading some scriptures that we're very familiar with. Uh, touching some things that we've probably taught on before, but the time has come for us to just um, revisit these things and, and, and get ourselves up to a place of readiness um, for what God is leading us to do. So in the next few weeks, we'll be considering both Psalm 127 and 128. Today, we'll read only um, three verses. In fact, that's the whole thing because it's only four, five verses. We'll read Psalm 127. Let's pick it up together. One, two, three. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the gods stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. The Lord, that blessing to the reading of his word. Uh, let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity that you've given us to start on this series. Grant us the grace, Lord, that we need to convey these truths in a fashion that will be able to guide us as your people. Living in a day and time, Lord, when so much is working against us, but we are undeterred in believing you and trusting you for protection, for guidance, and for realignment of our hearts and our souls and our lives so that we can still be able to fulfill your plan your purpose for ourselves as families in this life. And so we give ourselves to you and we are grateful for the opportunity to be alive at such a time as this. So we seek your touch and your anointing as we deliver your word. In Jesus' name we pray with thanksgiving. Amen. You may kindly be seated. And we welcome those who may be joining us remotely as we start this series, which I have entitled Family Life and parenting in an age of open-ended value systems. Let me begin by trying to um, identify who this teaching might apply to. This teaching will apply to those seeking to know God's mind on the role of the family in society. The teaching will also apply to families of young children. Those of you who uh, have young children, you're parenting young children from zero, say, to 13 this will apply to you. And if you know friends that you know can benefit 
do tag them, encourage them to participate and to listen. This teaching will apply to parents of teenagers. Welcome to the club. When you have a chance to raise and parent teenagers, you know that you must have grace to be alive in life. This teaching will apply to any parents or grandparents or generally guardians. Although we use the term guardians because of the fact that maybe you are a parent figure looking after either um, uh, young children from an extended family or maybe there may be no blood relationship but you are looking after them, you are parenting. But I use the term guardian just so that we are familiar with what we are talking about. So any parents, grandparents, or guardians connected to teenagers or young uh, adults. Uh, just feel free to adjust those fonts and uh, in whatever format so they can uh, fit the arrangement here. So that will apply to you. I also believe that what we're teaching here will apply to those who may be engaged. You are engaged and you are couples preparing for marriage. This will apply to you. Um, if you yourself are a teenager, sometime soon or even much later, thinking about uh, marriage, this will apply to you. Young parents just married, hoping in the next year or two to have children, this will apply to you. When you consider that whole long list, it becomes obvious that this applies to all of us. Because all of us are in some form of family settings. I know of young people here in the assembly who are not yet married, but who have been in the past years raising their own siblings. You are a parent. You are a parent in every respect of the word. So let me take us to Psalm 127 for some observations. Psalm 127 and Psalm 128 are very unique in terms of arrangement. Both of these Psalms contain what we consider to be timeless truths for family life. The context is that this is among the, 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 the psalms we refer to as those psalms of ascents. When you go to Psalm 121, and you're reading um, something we are very familiar with, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. These psalms of 
ascents, songs of ascents, were used by pilgrims in the then time who were constantly making their way for worship to Jerusalem. So 127, 128 are part of those songs of ascents. They reminded, they reminded these uh, pilgrims about the mercies of the Lord, the goodness of God. And people are constantly reminded that their security in transit, in travel, was fully dependent on the Lord. They were reminded that their blessings and securities in life were gifts from God. And you and I are reminded that we are on a journey. The Bible says we're strangers and pilgrims in this life. We've been teaching on Abraham in the past few weeks. He and his wife were looking for a city whose builder and maker was, or an architect was God himself. And he lived, the Bible says, they lived in tents, understanding that they were strangers in this life. So it is for us. We're on a journey. So the securities of life, the blessings that we have today, are gifts from God. Is that all clear? Uh, help me tell your neighbor, neighbor, let us be reminded that life's securities and blessings are a gift to us from God. So these are not just human achievements. Why is this important? It is important because, you see, being who we are as humans, we forget very easily. When things are going well and it's looking like we have attained something. We look to ourselves. We look at our education. We look at our privileged connections, whether by descent, descent meaning where we've come from, or by, by lineage, or by um, whatever we may consider important. So we become like um, King Nebuchadnezzar, who at the height and apex of his achievements, said, is this not Babylon, which I, Nebuchadnezzar, by my hand have made? So he attributed those successes to himself, not observing that it is the Lord that had made him king and brought him to where he was at. And the Bible says, while the lips, while the words were on his lips, God came in. And we know the rest of the story. Not only was there a message of the fact that days were numbered, but in the final analysis, you remember that Nebuchadnezzar went, he became like a mad person, into the forest, eating grass. Fast forward, the Bible says, until he acknowledged that the Lord is God. Only then 
was restoration achieved. In our day and time, we must remember. As we thank God for education, as we thank God for employment, we thank God for uh, talent and skill and um, achievements in this life. We must remember, every good and perfect gift comes from God. And these precious children we have come from God. Not human achievement. So Psalm 127 remind us of that. Psalm 127 and Psalm 128 remind us of that. From um, a textual arrangement in the Hebrew text, these two Psalms are amazingly well balanced. When you look at them in the Hebrew text, they each have two well balanced stanzas. And those two those sets of two well-balanced stanzas are actually in four poetic lines that you can see clearly in the Hebrew text. So that is why in the translated versions, you will see the lines running the way they do. For instance, verse number one says, unless the Lord builds, which is a reminder of the fact that every good gift comes from him, and that the achievements are dependent on him. So when you look at the lines, line number one, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. That's a poetic line. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the gods stand in vain. That's a beautiful poetic line. And in the Hebrew text, it is amazing that each of them are composed of 57 very clear syllables. Amazing. That can just happen by chance. God then took his servants with a special meticulous arrangement and understanding of uh, musical compositions and poetic compositions. The arrangement was done. That means that God cares for detail. And that should remind you that the detail that you cannot put your finger on in that special child, God knows. And he will give you wisdom to know how to handle it in the name of Jesus. It is said that both of the Psalms, Psalm 127, Psalm 128, are actually composed, focused on what we consider domestic happiness, happiness in the home. And this is what we seek. With this, let me proceed to lay the ground on uh, the biblical mandate for stable family life and parenting, which is really our mandate today. It is clear from God's word that family life is central to the stability of any society. Family life, it is central. They say, as the family goes, so goes the nation. And this is key. And I will show you why you and I can no longer take what we see out there on face value. Because 
those who run the agendas of nations around the world have sat in boardrooms way before you and I woke up. They have invested money towards what they desire to see. Not tomorrow, but years ahead. Before some of the children that we desire to have are even born. Stuff is planned. So, it becomes necessary for us as God's people to think more deliberately about how we prepare for the future. Family life is central and fundamental. Uh, something is happening to our projection system there, but that's okay. You will see the notes as and when they are projected. Let me draw your attention to Psalm 127 again and verse number one. The Bible says, unless the Lord builds, the house builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city. Uh, when you think about the term city, you're thinking about the seat of power. You're thinking about the place that controls influence. And there are influencers in this life. In 2013, I, I recall, when we took a whole year to teach on the seven spheres um, of, um, of, of, uh, of the world, seven spheres of, of life, of influence, uh, we, we looked at sphere number two at that time as, as, as the family. And we talked a lot. We may need to go back to some of those things. Uh, some of you may not have been there. But at that time, I did emphasize the fact that there are influences and influencers. And those are real. And when the Bible mentions the term city there, it's talking about the seat of power, the seat of influence. So if family is central and fundamental to the stability of society, it must follow that family has to be protected. Hello? Family has to be protected. Uh, you've heard me quote very, very often Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 12. Let's just go there again today. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 12. Because uh, it fits well in the teaching. In verse number 12, the Bible says, up to 14. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us Ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Um, are we together? Look at the kind of strategy from the enemy. It's an all-round attack. He says, they told us, how many times? Ten times over. Wherever Wherever you turn, they will attack us. So, you turn north, you turn south, you turn west, you turn east. He says, all round, they will attack. The pressure 
that faces today's family is like that. It's all around, and I, I will illustrate it as we do this series. Therefore, I stationed people, that strategy, behind the lowest points of the wall, the exposed places. So what I seek to do in the next few weeks, beloved, is to help us go together to our lowest points and our insecure locations where we are exposed as families. I want us to walk there together so we can examine those lowest areas where we are exposed. And with God's help, we build the defenses we are supposed to build in the name of Jesus. Amen. He says, I went to the lowest of the wall at the exposed places, posting them. Take note the strategy of Nehemiah. He says, posting them family by family. This is the order of God's word. And I assure you, when we come to see how the world is working, particularly the secular world is working against God's families, they do it exactly that way. Family by family. And that is why we must be on guard. The last part. He says we, post them, we posted them with swords, spears, and bows. We trust we will arm you in these few weeks. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid. And let me say to every family here today, do not be afraid. Somebody shout hallelujah. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. But there is action required from us. And this verse which we've used so many times says, and I love that last part, Fight for your families. Fight for your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. Fight! So in these few weeks, beloved, I want to show us how to fight. Because that's where we seem to be a little bit weak. But with God's help, we will get there in Jesus' name. So it is my desire and our aim together to create stable families. A stable family life, if we see in the scriptures, is considered a leadership priority. A stable family life is a leadership priority and precondition. If we read the scriptures in 1 Timothy, Chapter 3, and reading at verse number 4, we know of the requirement there for people who serve in leadership. Now, that requirement shows you and I how important uh, family life is. First Timothy, chapter 3, 
In verse number four, when it's talking about leadership, it says, a leader is one, verse four, who must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him and he must do so in a manner worthy, full of respect. Then the Bible says, in verse 5, if anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? So, for leadership in God's church, there is a prerequisite of managing one's family well. Which means, God is expectant of all of us that we would pass the grade there. And like I said, I made this net very broad to help us to understand that all of us are affected in this area. Why? Because there is some form of parenting, one way or the other, that we are engaged in. And if you're not parenting, you are parented. You're being parented. You're being guided by those that you look up to. And God expects us to have the tools to be able to manage our families well. So given this background, I want to address a portion of our subject that's related to values. And I just want to lay this as a foundation and I'll be cupping it off somewhere so that in the coming weeks we can develop it together. Keeping this in mind, let's answer the question of values. What are values? Values are principles or standards of behavior. They involve one's judgment of what is important in life. Values also involve individual beliefs that motivate people to act one way or another. Values serve as a guide to human behavior. Now, if this is what values are, it makes us aware of the fact that there are many sets of values available to us. Many, many sets of values. Many, many sets of principles and standards that people's behaviors are set upon. And we have to be aware of that. So let me ask another question. How do values affect human behavior? Generally, people are predisposed to adopt the values that they are raised with or by or around. So, even if you just sat and did nothing in your home or you simply coasted along in this world and you just said, I won't say anything, let me just coast along. The environment that you are coasting in thinking you are in neutral, has a way of affecting you. It is that environment that will shape your thoughts. It is that environment that will shape 
what you say when you decide to say something. That environment will shape what is closest to you as and when you are faced with choices. So it is better then to begin to be more conscious about that kind of environment and hopefully instead of it controlling you, you deciding to define it. And that's what we are preparing you for. Generally, people are predisposed to adopt the values that they are raised with. People also tend to believe that those values which they are raised by are right because they are the values that their particular culture sustains. So quickly, as I go towards um, making some applications, and we'll cap, like I said, I will cap it off somewhere and pick it up in the coming week. Let's answer the question, what are Christian values? What are Christian values? Christian values are derived from the teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ. They're derived from the Bible. If something I need to take care of here. They're derived from the Bible, from the Word of God. Now, our understanding is that these values that are derived from the Word of God are non-negotiable. These are based on non-negotiable absolutes in the Bible. Absolutes regarding what God has said, this is what is right, this is what is wrong. Those are moral ab absolutes that God presents, and those are what we follow. But what our world has done is that they've made, they've presented to us so many optionable values that are relative to where you are. They depend on where you go. As they say, if in Rome, live as the Romans do. So when people move places, uh, definitely you find a different culture. There's a way in which a different culture affects you. But there are some things, regardless of culture, that are non-negotiable. We want to highlight some of those things in these coming weeks with God's help. Hallelujah. We want to highlight those. Uh, please, see if you can, catch up. Go to the next one. So, we've established what Christian values are in a very simple manner. I, I want to address another question. What is the problem with values that are open-ended? Let's address that. Is it a problem at all? If values are open-ended, I have a very simple answer to that. Yes, it is a problem. Why? Because it leaves the door wide open for what we call liberalism. Liberalism is anything goes, anything happens, anything goes, anytime. It doesn't matter where it's coming from. If it fits, we wear it. If it makes us happy, we do it. If it gives us something good, we go along with it. That's the order of the day. The door remains open. Anything can come through here. And the way that the worldly values are set is deliberately that way. Open-ended. 
non-committal. So that you are free, so to say, to do what you need to do with whatever comes your way. Open-ended value systems change with time and circumstances. But we have already said, when we are dealing with God, he does not change. The things he gives to us can't be said to change with time. He says he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Unfortunately, beloved, we are living in a day and time. And some of you as parents are saying, yeah, Bishop, he's coming a bit too late. I wish this had happened when I was still in school. No, no, it's okay. It's not too late. It's all right. Because God still helps us to correct course when we've gone on the wrong path. By his grace. Amen. So let me highlight something I've mentioned before. Just as a highlight, before I go to some further applications and we, uh, we summarize our items for today. In the past, when I've addressed parents and also talked generally about values, I've highlighted, and we must get quickly to this point, two family-related issues that are top on the human rights global agenda. Two family-related issues that are top on the human rights agenda. This, this is unfortunately real. And we can no longer sit back as parents and allow these things to keep going because the future of our children is at stake. Two that are top on the agenda. One, that is top on the agenda, that is deliberately crafted as open-ended in our day, is the fact that there is an attempt to redefine the family in light of sexual lifestyles and preferences. That is top on the agenda. And it must be watched very, very carefully. Second, the second thing that is top on the agenda is that there is a renewed campaign for sexual reproductive health rights. Now, reproductive health knowledge is important for life, but probably not as front burner and probably not as prioritized as they are making it. And the problem is that this thing to do with reproductive health, talking about your, um, um, what we need to know about um, our, our bodies and, and especially uh, in terms of um, the development of uh, our bodies and how it comes into our reproductive um, life systems and so on. Though, though that knowledge is important. But you see, it's being positioned in a fashion where it appears like that's all that exists. And then it's being tilted towards it being a right. And the moment you hear rights, rights, as a parent, lift up the banner. 
because these rights movements, as we have shown in the past number of months, especially last year, when we as a church, as Evangelical Fellowship of Zambia, we were involved in, uh, for instance, in the campaign uh, to pull out comprehensive sexuality education from the schools. When we were talking about that, and that thing is still there as an agenda, we're still working on it. The reason we were concerned about that thing is because in that agenda, there is now a clear indication that there is an attempt through the content they teach to indoctrinate children to a level where they trust their parents less and less and trust themselves and peers and the systems around them more and more. So society, some societies now are at a place where parents can't even lift a finger to discipline a child because the child just picks up the phone and phones the social department somewhere and says, I'm being abused. And law enforcement people come and appearing to wanting to protect the child, they'll usually pick up the parent and the parent is in the dock. And so more and more, the hands of parents are being tied. And we will see why that is a low point and why we must fight against it in the name of Jesus. They're already hearing the message of Jesus and why we are concerned. So this is real. The last time I did some teaching here, I picked up an example from the African Union and their definition of the family. I want to leave this for uh, uh, next session uh, because um, we, we are a bit limited. But I want to go to the section that's dealing with young children and millennials who are most impacted. So the most impacted grouping are young children. So from zero to 13, the agenda is coming through cartoons. Cartoons now carry adult themes. There used to be a day when it's Nickelodeon, Nickelodeon, Nickelodeon. You listen to the cartoons and the themes they carry, the language presented in the cartoons. Any parents identify with that? You know what I'm talking about? Even if this thing we have now where they say, no, you can use, uh, um, you can program to see what children really watch and so on. All those things can be done and that's fine through the many channels that we have. But open-ended systems are being projected. The main avenue being used is mass media. Generally, but specifically social media. So I'll bring you some statistics next week. I will show you what's happening with Instagram, what's happening uh, with um, uh, just Facebook. And the people who've done these studies are not others. What has been made available now are internal studies, for instance, done by Facebook experts where they are actually now sharing data and showing the kind of negative impact that this content has. But they carry it on because it's a big business. Amazing. Really amazing. So given all this, 
What is our immediate responsibility? I want to highlight four responsibilities that are upon us just now as we make our application. Responsibility number one. We need to return to the foundations of God's word. So let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19. We need to return to the foundations of God's word. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 19 onwards says, uh, we probably can't switch to the scriptures there because I think the system is slightly limited this morning. Second Timothy chapter 2, so if you can follow me uh, in your Bibles, and I will read. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm. Uh, do I hear a witness in the house? Do I hear a witness in the house? Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm. Sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his. And everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. And we will show you how. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood, clay, and some for special purposes, some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter, and I'm praying that this is where we are all headed, to cleanse ourselves from the latter, will be instruments for special purposes. May your family be that family sensing that you're on assignment and that God will reserve you for special purposes in the name of Jesus. Because we must ask ourselves the question, what's all this thing about marriage? You prepare, get married, then what? Ah, children, have children, then what? No, no, there's got to be much more. There's got to be much more. Each family here is on assignment. And God has specifically assigned you and gifted you with those children. For those of you for whom this is in dream form only, or expectant mothers, I want you to anticipate. Maybe um, you're early or midway in the term, expecting a child or children. Be prepared in this fashion. And I will show you from God's word that the environment in the home shapes the child in the womb, actually. Way before the child is born. There is... Um, uh, Scientific data pointing to that, and it is amazing. Amazing. So let's return to the foundations of God's word. That's number one, immediate responsibility. Immediate responsibility number two. Immediate responsibility number two. Let us recommit our individual lives, our children and families, again, to God. Now that we read already in Psalm 127 verse 1 which says unless the lord builds which means there's got to be a place where we are committing the 10 parents that were here today this step they have taken and we've been sharing that in the preparation is extremely important when we were doing the preparation of the parents we say to them and let me mention it here that baby dedication is an act it's a spiritual act that has present and lifelong implications. 
So when these parents stand here, it's more than just for them to receive a certificate before the congregation, which they can hang in the home to say that the child was dedicated. Something serious has happened here this morning. And you must be confident that you've taken a chance to recommit yourselves as, as, as uh, your lives, as individuals, uh, commit the children and committing the families as well. The third responsibility is to recommit to godly connections in the church family. Now, the environment that you grow in here in the church is extremely critical. That is why you young marrieds, we encourage you, once your honeymoon is, is over, get back into church. What we've observed over years, these years of pastoring, especially here in the big cities, is that after marriage, somehow there is a silent, I mean, I'm just making an observation as a pastor. It's like there's a silent withdrawal in terms of participation in ministry. Are you agreeing with me? I see some of you shaking. Yeah. It's like people get very busy, visible in the choir. Very visible. That's the market, isn't it? That's the market. At least, let's not leave it there. That's not just the market. When you get married, you go for your honeymoon, tradition, you come back, plug right back in, into the church family. This is the factory, the crucible where you're formed. Plug back in to the marriage ministry immediately. Immediately. The third Sunday of every month is marriage meeting. Our average, as we observe, is that, and there may be factors, Look, be there and be part of the solution. Hello? Plug back in. You will find out that there are parents in the church who go through the same things that you are facing. So an opportunity for accountability arises. People get to know you. People get to listen to you. You get to impact others. But remember this. Some of you are very visible. Others look up to you. So don't hide. Let them continue to see you because you are an encouragement to others. But if you disappear, it seems then that we are coming to church just to find a wife or a husband. And that's utilitarian. God should help us. Plug back. And I will show you. And in fact, today, I, I probably can manage to read pick up one, one slide. Um, I've used uh, some teaching um, in this area before. Why? Because there is data showing the fact that just one day per week attendance in church. I shared with you, maybe it's almost two years ago now, when we had our gathering, it was a Sunday, the celebration Sunday we held at uh, Rodspark School there. And I talked about restoration of a family. I shared with you the research from uh, Shanti 
the, the couple, the psychologists that had been ministering many times, and they were quoting very common data that was seeming to show as if, you know, divorce rate is so high, the divorce rate out there in the, in the world is the same as in the church, and they kept quoting that. Then they discovered, after checking one of the most recent studies, that that was not so. And it showed that indeed, for that society, and that could be extrapolated for a number of other societies, which in fact are more conservative than the society they are coming from. That in fact, the divorce rate out there in the world and in the church is not the same. It's higher out there than it is in the church. And one of those pieces of data was showing that one day of attendance at church one day a week was making a difference as large as between 37 to 50% towards the maintenance and sustenance of a stable family. One day. One day. So do not belittle this environment where God has designed organically that there is a chemistry that happens when brethren dwell together in unity. And we talk about unity. Psalm 133, another psalm of ascent says, there, 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 where, where brethren are gathered. There, there, that place, their Lord commands a blessing. So, that research doesn't surprise me. Those findings don't surprise me. Because it's like it's like the Jew upon Mount Hermon. It's like the oil that flows from the head of Aaron the high priest down to the beard. And all across over the robe. So you should not take lightly these times of assembling together, meeting in the um, in the home groups, the life groups. That is why Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 says, Do not neglect assembling together with others. There is a chemistry, a spiritual chemistry that takes place when we gather together. And I must tell you, that's the reason why virtual stuff can't be the norm. We've had to endure virtual church for a while. It can do certain things, but it can't be the norm. And that's why we believe somehow that this COVID, somewhere along the line, the enemy was using it. Two of the enemy to keep society apart from each other. God has designed society in such a way that we ought to interact. And that physical interaction has a funding, a building, a harnessing effect. It has a, a gelling and a bonding that it conveys. It is God's conveyance belt, belt for some things he must deliver for our society. We must be able to see that value. And so with these uh, restrictions lifted, take advantage. When young people are gathering, be there. When the rest of the church is gathering, be there. 
recommit to godly connections in the church family. Please turn to your neighbor and preach with me and say to your neighbor, neighbor, reconnect to your church family. See, there's a chemistry here. Fourth responsibility is for us to change mindsets. And this is where uh, I can close with the research from Shanti Feldham. So take me to that uh, slide which says the danger of believing a lie. If we can go there, the danger of believing a lie. I want to show you exactly what I was referring to. Shanti Ferdan, a Harvard-trained researcher, and her husband, Jeff. They live their lives helping people with their marriages and relationships through a best-selling book, like uh, one of the ones they have done, is entitled uh, For Women Only, For Men Only. This Atlanta best couple, I mentioned already, but I want to close with this. And this is part of what I shared at the family restoration, the, the family setting when we met at Rhodes Park. And I was talking about restoration of the family. This Atlanta based couple, often quoted in their writings and at the conferences, what they thought was accurate research. And in this case, they quoted the fact that most marriages are unhappy and that 50% of them end in divorce, even in the church. But they said, and she particularly said, I didn't know, Feldon told CBN News. I've stood up on stage and said every one of these wrong statistics. Says more than 10 years ago, she asked her assistant, Tally Whitehead, for a specific research on divorce for an article she was writing. After much digging, neither of them could find any real numbers. So... They went on and found something that then was published. And this is the good news that I uh, shared then, which I share with you. It says, in the good news about marriage, this best-selling author, Shanti, says, and these are the inspiring truths. One, the actual divorce rate has never gotten close to 50%. It is significantly lower and has been declining for the last 30 years. But they don't want you to know that. They want you to believe that the stuff going on out there is the same. They want you to believe that it doesn't make a difference for you to be in church or to be outside. No, it does make a difference. And you and I should be glad. Here is that research I referred to. Those who attend church regularly have significantly lower divorce rates than those who don't. Most marriages and just so-so. The vast majority are happy. Ah, so there is room here for living a life far beyond the grind that is out there in the world. May God make that your portion. Amen. So in the next few weeks, I want to unpack these things. I'll bring you data that's researched so you can understand that we are being forced to believe a lie. I want to share this practically to put tools in your hands so you can be able to shape the world around you. Like those of you who have given up on each other, 
to know that there is hope for you. But like those of you who've, been, who've given up on marriage, because you see what's happening, you see some of your own friends, some of them maybe, who got married right here. And you're saying, ah, is that what happens? Ah, I want to rebuild your hope for a stable and enjoyable marriage. Because that is possible in Jesus' name. And talk about marriage made in heaven. It's real. It's there. It can be done. Family life that is stable, it's there. It can be done. 34 years of enjoying this, I know it can be done in the name of Jesus. I want you to believe that as a young person, you do not have to be a guinea pig targeted by all and sundry for you to be the point of consumption of all the dirty things that they place out there on the world wide web. I want you to be able to know that in these few weeks, you will build the capacity to say no to ungodliness and to unrighteousness and to live righteously and holily in this present age. God is able to get you to that place. And I believe that he wants us to do our part in doing that today. God bless you, beloved. Let's close it off here for today.